Okay, this episode is a special one. It's been almost two years and we've now hit the big 50 episodes. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the intro because this episode is really full of incredible guests and I want to get right to them. The House of Run podcast is probably one of the biggest track and field podcasts in the world and Kevin Sully, one of the hosts, joins us this week to chat Canadian track from across the border. Also, Jeff Costin, our in-house run pundit since day one and newly minted bronze medalist in the Canadian Marathon Championships, will fill us in on if he can walk again after his big debut, and also what's good in the world of Canadian collegiate cross. As well, last but not least, Mohamed Ahmed, Mo Speed, or just plain Mo. However you know him, he's had one heck of a year with a Canadian record and a respectable showing in the Olympics, and he is on this week's show as well. You're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. The man has gone by a few different titles. He is the winner of the 2015 Scotia Toronto Waterfront Half Marathon, the only person to ever order a stir fry from a Mexican restaurant, and our in house run pundit. Now you can add bronze medalist at the Canadian Marathon Championships to that list as well. Jeff Costin joined us to talk cross and his own debut marathon. Okay, so obviously, uh, obviously, quite a bit to to get to today. Um, first things first, so how are the legs feeling? Are you are you able to walk up and down stairs yet? Yeah, today has been pretty good. I I felt like I got hit by a bus on Sunday, and the past couple of days it's been really awkward maneuvering around my office and stuff. But today I woke up with a bit of a breakthrough, feeling normal-ish. So looking forward to getting back on my feet a bit more i mean uh you know it's business as usual we we get to talk about everyone else's running but i do want to touch on your marathon a little bit uh it was good enough for a third place medal in the in the canadian marathon championships uh it was your debut you said you needed a little bit of time to kind of unpack it uh, unravel it uh kind of what conclusions did you did you draw off this yeah, I, I don't know if I have any easily digestible conclusions. It was like, it, it was definitely slower than I was hoping to run and thought I was capable of running. But, um, you know, I'm I'm definitely glad I checked off the box and that I hung in tough. It was, it was very tough for me in the last 10K. I still haven't decided how much of that is just what marathon running is supposed to feel like and how much is my... Uh, poor pacing or how much is the weather I don't I don't really know the answer because I only have the single data point but it was tough out there but um, I'm glad I stuck with it and positive experience all around so uh, so no concrete answers whether you're going to give it another try I, I think I will at some point uh, not not this week though so I can think <laughs> about it for a bit longer <laughs> you're not going to be attempting any more marathons this week that's fair that's fair i'll give that to yeah, you <laughs> that, that's what i'm prepared to commit to fair enough fair enough speaking of marathons uh you know it's it's a hot topic right now um with athletics canada releasing their um iaaf world championship marathon qualifiers just four days before the scotia toronto waterfront marathon which in itself is um, it's special. Um, you know, obviously there's some really fast numbers that are attached to that, um, some areas of discretion there as well. It, all in all, it's, it's kind of a muddy thing. Um, you know, what, what are some thoughts that you have on it? Yeah, I think, I think the people at 
Athletics Canada have a tough job to do. They're not going to satisfy everyone. I I think the standards are definitely tougher than I expected and than most of the athletes I've spoken to did. Um, And I don't think think people liked um, necessarily the rhetoric that was communicated from from Erickson to uh, the Toronto Star. He kind of takes a, you know, we're here to up the competition standards, not for participation. I th- I think it's a little more dualistic than the way we have to look at these things needs to be. You know, if, if there are more successful competitors and their stories are properly told, that should contribute to more participation. And similarly, more participation, you know, in running as a sport, not just as a, spat, a pastime, should mean more people excelling. Um, so I think they can complement each other, but even just on the basis that we're focusing on our very top athletes and trying to um, up their competitiveness at the international level. I, um, you know, Eric Gillis came 10th at the Olympics this summer. Because, partly, I think he would tell you because he carried past international experience. So I think, I think it's always good for athletes to try and, to get world championship experience as a way to develop that, uh, those international chops so they can carry it into the Olympics, into other majors. So this, this is definitely going to make it tougher for some of our best athletes, although um, ho- hope some of them may take another crack at it. Gillis has the B standard. He might be able to get in um, anyway if, if he chooses to do that. So it, it is what it is, but I, I, I don't think you'll have too many people in the uh, distance running community that are happy about it. So something that I've been thinking about uh, with this, um, as you know, with the with the men's marathon field in Canada right now, it, it seems to be a pretty sharp drop off. I mean, you have Reed and Eric and then uh, Dylan Wikes, if he's still kind of in it. Um, I, I don't think he's super committal at this point. Uh, you know, uh, Rob Watson has kind of kind of dropped back, taken a taken a step back. Uh, even Kip Kangogo, uh, you know, he did like a 2:22 last Sunday, so I don't know if that's a one-off. Um, anyways, we have a lot of guys who are kind of in that. Yeah, it's Michael Rokas and Jeff Costin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My uh, my 258 is uh, is is really competitive, really really pushing uh, pushing the edge on that. Um, <laughs> We do have a lot of guys who are sitting around, you know, that 220 mark, um, you know, probably, I don't know, like 20 guys in Quebec. And then uh, John Mason, uh, Kevin Coffey, those guys who are just kind of around that number. If we open up the IAAF standard um, to the IAAF standard, which is a 219, if I'm not mistaken, which is close to, you know, Mason and Coffey's time, do you think that would be an extra motivator to, you know, kind of get them to lower their times and, and really reach for it. Like, do you think that could be a good thing and a good motivator for those guys who are kind of on the bubble? I think potentially, and I don't think those guys are necessarily lacking the motivation to run as fast as possible to begin with. I think it's more kind of having an, having an achievable standard out there, um, is more in view for a lot of runners, whether they're young or whether they're still developing or they may be a ways away that, you know, um, a lot more people are in play of that. And if people, you know, see uh, runners that are in their clubs and in their communities getting to go to worlds and stuff, I think that's a motivating factor, not just uh, 
not just for those athletes, but for kind of the ripple effect that it would have potentially. Okay, so I, I want to move on to uh, the other thing that fall is known for, and that is cross-country. Um, your conference final is coming up in a couple weeks. No, a little over a week from, from this podcast release, release I believe. <laughs> um, you know, that's exciting with, uh, with the OUAs and the RESQ, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and obviously the AUS, uh, the Western guys obviously not having their things they'll join us at cis what are some impressions you know what are what are you looking at at ouas i think we'll have a lot of the usual suspects i think guelph on the women's side are bringing back six out of seven of their top runners and they have the track record that makes it very inadvisable to bet against them i think either at ouas or cis um the, the U of T team is also very strong, was close behind them at Western. And well, we don't know exactly who's running for them. I, I think there were whispers on the message board that Gabriella Stafford might be, and she would arguably be the class of the field, although she hasn't raced yet. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's looking very likely. And then I, I think the Queens team will also be very strong with uh with Stummer with Claire Summer and Julian Staley. Their front sticks are really competitive this year. Uh probably as much so as as anyone and their depth looked good at Queens as well. They sat a potential third runner and still, you know, had a, a relatively tight spread with their depth runners despite all of them running a longer distance than any of them are used to. On the men's side I think I think Guelph is probably the team to beat in the OUAs again. Uh, Windsor will give them a good run, but you know Guelph has a deep squad with a bit of a younger group than they've had in past years. I think they'd be mistaken to underestimate. Um, I think their biggest challenge will come outside of the OUAs when they move into CIs from Laval and Vic and potentially Trinity Western. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, looking looking at uh, Quebec AUS uh, even even at West so come CIS time how do you think that uh, how do you think that those guys will will match up with uh, you know obviously the biggest conference being the OUA yeah I, I think I think it's hard to bet against the Laval men right now they probably have the most depth out of anyone and they have the home course advantage and now they have Eve who seems to be running really well and could be a contender for the individual win. So they'll have a low stick just like they had last year. Um, And um, yeah, I I could just see them doing it on their home course, but um, as, as usual, it would be a mistake to count out Guelph. I don't, I don't think I've ever bet against them before. And we, um, despite being from Ontario, can't leave out the Victoria boys as defending champions. They, deserve to definitely be part of the conversation. Trinity Western, where where do you see them? I I think they have definite pop-up front. It's always hard to compare the teams out west to Ontario teams because, you know, the the courses, they they, they run some very impressive times, um, but that's not unique to this year, and sometimes it comes together and sometimes it doesn't. But I, I think... Um, like they'll definitely have the front stick and they seem to be pretty deep this year as well. I could see them contending for a medal if things come together the way they're capable of on the day. 
So, um, as I'm sure you're aware, this is the 50th episode, and uh, for a while we were number two, <laughs> but I think that as of right now, we are the number one uh, favorite um, competitive running podcast in Canada, I think. Do you think that we'll be able to hold that on- onto that uh, title for the next 50? For the next 50? Mm-hmm. I I think so. Uh, I hope you haven't uh, created any imprints that are going to be bigger. But yeah, you've um, you the guests uh, that you've put together have been very impressive over the past year, and I think you know a lot of people have interesting stories to tell, and you've been good at getting them out of them. So kudos to that, and um, yeah, you'll be this this podcast will be number one in my heart, regardless of who else decides to start competing well well i i thank you a lot for that and uh and let's just hope that uh that rob watson doesn't come back to the podcasting world because i I don't think we can deal with that sort of competition you know (laughs) um just one one more thing that i want to uh touch base with you on um i think maybe some people know i i actually stayed over the night at your place along with david freak on on saturday night just before the scotia toronto waterfront marathon and uh and dave actually disclosed to me um on sunday morning that a ton of legends and beauties had slept on that cod that i had been on before (laughs) um if that cod had a wikipedia page who would be the notable people who have slept on it who would be in that section um, there's, there's actually a confidentiality agreement that I was supposed to get you to sign, but most people sign it. So, um, we'll put together a plaque sometime, but I, I don't know if I have the list to publish at the moment. All right. All right. So even freak is definitely a good start though. Okay. Is he a legend or a beauty? <laughs> um, I, I would go with both, I suppose fantastic fantastic all right well it's always good talking to you man and uh and thanks for for being on the 50th episode yeah happy to be here thanks michael hey michael adam stacy from tracky here just wanted to give you a quick shout out for your awesome work on the terminal mile hard to believe it's already been 50 episodes well done man keep up the good work the House of Run podcast is a staple for most runners' iPods. The guys Jason Halpin and Kevin Sully tell it like it is every single week with significant amounts of humor. You can check them out on iTunes. It also happens to be the inspiration for this show, and it was a great honor to have Kevin Sully join the show. So I think the first thing that we, we kind of have to touch on, um, as this is a Canadian show, is your name. You are Kevin Sully. Um, up here in Canada, there is also a Kevin and we also know him as Sully, Kevin Sullivan, um, famed middle distance runner. I, I don't know how many listeners do you think that House of Run has gotten from Canada because they think Kevin Sullivan is hosting the show. Hopefully a ton, because if the listeners on the show were based just on mine and Jason's merits, we would get zero listeners. So I'm happy to piggyback off of his name. And what's funny is uh, when I was growing up, in my teenage years was really when Kevin Sullivan was, was in his prime, like late nineties into the, into the two thousands. Um, so I was becoming more aware of elite runners. And when I found out that there was a guy with very, very similar name to mine, I just figured the odds of two people becoming elite distance runners were very, very small. So that combined with my mediocre times, Michael was a good indication that I probably was not going to be uh, this, the 
the, the great distance runner that I hope to be. But uh, if I if I'm able to get any residual uh, bumps or any downloads or any credibility because our names are only a few letters off, I'm I'm proud to do it. He has a much much stronger kick than I ever had. Though, I will <laughs> say for sure. Yeah, just uh, you know, when someone asks for your fifteen hundred PB, you know, just uh, just kind of mumble or something, you know, make it sound like three thirty or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say, hey, Google Kevin Sullivan, <laughs> and then I'll let them fill that in. So uh, Mo Ahmed is is on the show this week as well, and um, you know, I was thinking about that uh, because I think it was just after the pre classic. Um, you guys on on the House of Run show. Uh, we're talking and you made a joke about um, Canadian Olympic standards um, and how they're just ridiculous. And, and I ended up tweeting that out uh, because I thought it was hilarious and then caught a lot of heat from the Canadian race walking team. They got quite upset at me. Um, wow. Oh, yeah, they're they're um, they're they're really great guys. I think they listen to the show. So, you know, we won't say anything bad about them. Evan and Naki, you guys are great. But um, it was interesting hearing like an outside perspective, though. Um, if you could sum up in a few sentences, what are your thoughts on, you know, how we run our track and field up here? Well, sure. And it was more a comment directed towards, you know, as compared to the U.S. system, which I don't expect every country to have the U.S. system because every country is different. For example, you know, Grenada doesn't necessarily need to do trials to put Karani James on the team. But when you have a country that has the depth and breadth that the United States has in pretty much every event where they um, have medal contenders across the board, the first three across the post just, just makes sense. But for other countries, that's the case too. So Kenya in the 5,000, 10,000, the steeple, the 15, the 800, Ethiopia in the same events, Jamaica. And I would even argue in some events, Canada, I think the, the best system is to come up with a transparent way to send as many people as you can. So if the Olympic standard is X and, and you have three people who run faster than X, then those three people should be on the team. So it's always confused me, and this has been the case with Great Britain in the past, as I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. where countries seem to go out of their way not to send a full roster to Olympics or World Championships, which I just think is the antithesis of what a governing body should do. Because if you want to, number one, have a shot at a medal, you need to be in the race, right? And number mm-hmm. two, if you want to have a chance at potentially growing the sport and inspiring the younger athletes to be competitive and to believe that they can compete, they need to be able to turn on the TV during a World Championships or an Olympics and see somebody wearing their country's colors in the race and keeping people off the team because you don't think that they'd necessarily be competitive. Why, why are you functioning as an athletic body, right? What is the, what, why are you making that decision for them? If people qualify and they get on, uh, then they should be here, you know, Mm -hmm. be there. And, and, and with Canada, with the, you know, have to hit the, I I think we made the joke about the a plus plus or the C plus because it was a a standard beyond the standard. So Mm -hmm. in my mind, if your country is that deep, you choose a common day, you choose a common place, we have the Olympic trials, you know, and, and you run off and you take as many people as you can and you put them on the plane, you put them on the bus and they get to race. I mean, for the U.S., who would have thought at the beginning of the year Paul Chalimo would be a medalist? I mm-hmm. mean, who would have – Who? I mean, NBC certainly didn't think that even after <laughs> the race when they interviewed him. But there's countless examples of people overperforming. So I think when – 
other people, outside people, try to make a decision as to who's going to be competitive, it can only go wrong from there. And I think it goes against the idea and the unpredictability of sport. And that's why we watch it in the first place for, for exciting things like that to happen. So kind of working in, in like a, I guess, a most chronologically relevant order, I do want to talk to you about Sean Barber because I think that is a story that, that made it uh, south of the border. What do, you, what do you make of that whole wild story that is um, Sean Barber and the cocaine? Well, it definitely made it south of the border. That was like the one post-Olympic track and field story that made through to the mainstream in the mm-hmm. U.S. So rest assured, you guys were well represented uh, down here in the United States, although not for uh, for necessarily good reasons. I, I read the whole 17-page report mm-hmm. that was issued by the uh, ar- after the arbitration hearing. I-, I believe him. I don't know if that makes me incredibly naive. Uh, I-, I I believe the story. I believe that uh, cocaine got in his system the way he says that the cocaine got in his system. Where I found it kind of strange was where they were going um, to try to prove, right, that he took all necessary steps to ensure that he would not ingest a uh, banned substance. So then you got into some weird places of having to defend Craigslist ads and having to defend choices that led you to decide to to meet up with a woman you don't know for a romantic encounter. So it, it was it was strange on one hand because you're arguing, look, I took all necessary precautions, which I think was the, there's some legal term there that you have to pass, that threshold that you have to pass to show that, you know, this was an accidental situation. I did everything to prevent myself from having this. So it's, it's a weird spot to say, yeah, I did this thing that was incredibly risky, uh, but I also took all these precautions to make sure that this ri- that this wasn't, overtly risky. That's where I thought it was a, a strange um, situation. And certainly the timing um, of, of it coming out now and not hearing about it uh, at the time because the test came out. I mean, the test was during the Canadian championships, mm-hmm. um, if I'm remembering it correctly. And it brings up an interesting question and, uh, regarding cocaine being a, a banned substance because down here, and Anika McPherson, who made the Olympic team for the U.S. and the high jump just came off a two-year ban for mm-hmm. cocaine. Uh, she was banned in 2014. She was having the season uh, of her life that year. She got popped. She lost sponsorship deals. She lost opportunities to compete and just became eligible right before the Olympic trials. And she's the shortest person ever to clear two meters in the entire world. And so I, I think it brings up a lot of questions there. I don't know um, how much... I mean, I, we haven't dug in deep in terms of the, the parallels by her, between her case and Sean Barber. Both were cocaine. You know, the amount doesn't, you know, obviously matters in terms of he ingested it from this woman's lips, right, according to the report, mm-hmm. whereas um, um, hers was in recreational use. So I, 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 I think that brings up another question, too, that we don't necessarily have all the answers to yet, but um, that immediately popped into my mind uh, as I was reading the story. On the show, um, you know, you've consistently, almost, you know, mind-bogglingly been cons- consistently an unconditional Andre DeGrasse fan, um, <laughs> which is understandable if you're Canadian. But uh, you know, down in the states, it's it, I, I, I don't know. I obviously you get a lot of blowback from from your co-hosts. Um, you know, up here when he won those medals, uh, it was pretty much mania. 
And uh, across the media, he was pretty much, you know, deemed uh, the chosen one, the one to take over from Bolt. Obviously, we're a little bit biased up here. Is that a universal opinion? You know, what are you guys thinking down there? In terms of whether or not he's going to take over for Bolt? Mm-hmm. Well, you look at the the times he put up this year. You look at the fact that in back-to-back years, he's medaled at major championships. He runs really well when the pressure is at its highest. And he's been doing this for like three years, which is the most incredible thing of all. I mean, he came to USC mm-hmm. in 2015. And, you know, he had run good times in junior college before that. But he really only became known in the United States in 2015. And then two years later, he has two 100-meter medals and a 100 and a 200-meter medal. I mean, that's incredible how quickly he rose. So you combine uh, the age, his ability to perform when it matters most, and the parallels are striking in terms of, you know, obviously signing with Puma and Bolt's on his way out and DeGrasse gets a, a very big um, contract from Puma. So that's Another reason why I would guess people here would think that that he'd be the next one. Um, from a U.S. perspective, too, it's interesting to see the parallels between him and Trayvon Bromel. So if people remember the 2015 NCAA uh, track meet, you know, him and Bromel went head-to-head. DeGrasse obviously got the better of him there. Mm-hmm. But those are two guys who both uh, went, to the NCAA, went through the NCAA system, both left school early. Both are stars in the 100. So it's going to be fun to watch those two um, progress as they go along. So... I think U.S. track fans, if they're that um, into track, have known DeGrasse for you know the duration of his popu- you know popularity because he went to USC. So so for them, he's he's nothing new. I'm sure a lot of people might have been surprised when he was at the Olympics in a Canada jersey because mm-hmm. we have a, a tendency just to assume everybody from the from uh, certain schools are gonna are gonna represent the U.S. So I, I would say anybody looking at it logically would would say he's in the top tier once once uh, once Bolt goes. I don't know why there would be any reason why you wouldn't have him. Is he going to be as dominant as Bolt? I don't think so, but then you're comparing him to the greatest of all time, which is tough to do. Oh, I think Bolt's, uh, you know, one of those oh, once-in-a-lifetime sort of guys for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so houseofrun.com at House of Run. You can also find these guys on iTunes. This is Kevin Sully. He is a, um, he is a host on that show. I, I do have a bit of a bone to pick with you. We we sent Cam Levins down to the United States a bunch of <laughs> years ago, um, you know, in good faith that you would take care of him. And um, and you did for a little while, but now he's been injured for two major tournaments in a row. What's going on? What are you guys doing to him down there? Yeah, he, he's an interesting case. Another guy who you know, is very familiar to U.S. track nerds because he came up in the NCAA system. So... Um, people watched his rise at, at Southern Utah. I remember the mania on distance running sites when he performed really well at NCAAs, and then people found out he actually was running as many miles as he says he was. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. He, w- I mean, fantastic. I guess. I guess the question there is: Do you wonder did all the miles at an at an earlier age mean he reached his peak level performance at an earlier age? Because he's in the Oregon project, which was really strong this year at the Olympics, right? Between mm-hmm. Farah, Rupp, Centrowitz, um, on the women's side, Shannon Robert had a great year. Um, Eric Jenkins had an awesome year. Uh, didn't, you know, just barely missed 
the U.S. team. So he he was one of the few that didn't have a, a, a great year. And and to be honest, I I'm not sure what it is. I don't think it's too early. I mean, I don't think it's it's um, time to you know give up on him or say that this is the best he's ever going to be. The interesting thing for me and and let me know, Michael. What are we thinking about his marathon potential? Because you see the amount of miles per week, and I know he had this great kick, and that was what was was so amazing was that he was running 200 miles a week and then closing in like 53 in these 5,000s and 10,000s. Uh, do we have any idea about his marathon potential, or does he even want to run a marathon? Uh, I I have no idea. I mean, um, obviously the marathon's a lot about efficiency, and I would have to think that you know putting in that many miles you know a 200 mile um week would you know your stride would get really efficient doing that so i don't know i think if he were to go after it i think that he's with the right coach and uh and he could do it Uh, when i was talking to mohamed he said that he didn't want it so you know maybe maybe he's letting uh cam take that record from him (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting i mean and and look i mean a lot of these guys um run their best in, in the NCAA season or the season right after NCAAs and they don't progress any farther. I mean, certain people are going to uh, peak at different times and Salazar's record is strong in terms of coaching athletes, but there's also been guys he's gotten that have, um, and women as well who have maintained the same spot or perhaps even regressed a little bit. So it wouldn't be outside, um, the norm if we've, if we've seen his best, but even if he gets back close to where he was he's certainly a a relevant figure uh on the elite distance running landscape it's just it's just really tough right now uh, to to break through with the u.s but also with canada like with someone like mohamed who's running you know 10 seconds faster than levens ever did in a 5000 that has to Mm -hmm. be a little dispiriting for him well i mean that that 2707 um last year in the in the pre 10,000 i believe it was was pretty mm-hmm. sweet but you know watching him watching him get injured for two major international tournaments in a row was yeah you know it was it was a bit of a bummer on that same topic though um the Oregon project when they first started out you know they're trying to make uh you know american distance running great again um if i could borrow from another uh famous american do you think um, with their success at the, at the last Olympics that, that they've done that, that they have established that, that they can make running great again? In the U.S., yeah, for sure. I, I think it wasn't just one thing, though. Uh, if you look at the, the rise in American distance running over the last 15, 20 years, it's happened all over the place. Like It's happened at the high school level. Uh, with times dropping dramatically, both on the boys and girls side, um, and that's trickled up, you know, through the NCAA system and then onto the pro. And on the pro side, there's a lot more uh, money and specialization being placed um, on distance running. So from both sides of the spectrum, too, right? You have something like the Salazar side of the spectrum, which is highly scientific, uh, very much based on an individual's need, and then you have something like, you know, the Hansons. Uh, Brooks Distance Project, which uh, Desi Linden is a part of, and mm-hmm. others who v- very much are um, less technologically inclined. I think it's 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 simple mm-hmm. to say that. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's fair to say that. I mean, I'm sure that they they're not like saying screw science. We're just going <laughs> to run a thousand miles a week. But it doesn't have the money that the Nike Oregon Project does. It doesn't have the big names attached to it. Um, so from 
both ends of the spectrum, I think, um, needs are being met for, for individual runners. Uh, and, and I think including runners from outside the U.S. in that group has been a net positive for the U.S. Someone like Farah is, is pushing Rupp. Um, someone like, you know, Mohamed is pushing Ryan Hill in the Bowerman Track Club. Uh, and there's numerous examples of that. So it, it will be interesting to see where it goes from here because they were so, I mean, 2016 Olympics was such a successful event for the whole U.S. track team, but um, in, in particular, the distance side of things. Um, and, and the U.S., I think, also has that, uh, a built-in advantage of, of the NCAA system. Um, as, as many problems as there are with the NCAA system in the United States, and that's a whole other topic for a whole other <laughs> podcast, it, it, in a way, it gives runners who have talent, who have that ability, you know, aren't necessarily all going to be Olympians. We know that. But there's a you know, four or five, in some cases, six-year window where they can continue to, to train and then to develop. Now, that was in place even you know, in the 80s and in, in the early 90s when the U.S. wasn't doing so well on the international level. But I think it's that, that constant presence combined with all the other factors is, is certainly a part of why the U.S. Um, should continue to, to thrive. Maybe not always as good as 2016 because that takes some luck and that takes some breaks, but mm-hmm. certainly better than what we saw before. Uh, in previous Olympics, when only you know one men's marathoner is qualifying for the Olympic Games, those days seem seem so far away compared to what we have now. Mm-hmm. No doubt that they're great, but uh, can they fix the American four by one hundred relay team? No, it's beyond repair. They just <laughs> the, the the U.S. the U.S. Uh, men's four by one team. And I know other countries have problems too. Like every time we talk about this on the show, people from Great Britain say, hey, don't forget about us. We screw up in epic ways too. And that's true. And all, part of this is you feel like it happens more if it happens to the team that you're watching or the team that's getting the most attention. So I'm sure Canada's had screw-ups. I'm sure hmm. uh, you know Japan has had screw-ups, although they were just incredible. In oh, Rio. not likely. Everyone makes mistakes except for Japan, I think. Yeah, okay. Bad example. Bad you caught me. So it just seems like every year, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but you could go back from, um, I mean, the, they haven't beaten Jamaica. The men haven't beaten Jamaica in a World Olympic final since 07, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of those were DQs, and a lot of those they were going to lose anyway to Bolt. But it's strange because it's like a, um, it's like a yearly or – Every three out of four years tradition of we huddle around our TVs here and now we huddle around Twitter and just wait for the inevitable screw up and we wonder, you know, is it going to be someone running out of the zone? Is a British runner going to clock us coming off the final curve? Like there's just new and different ways for, for them to, to, to screw it up each Like Are they going to get DQ'd during the race or are they going to get DQ'd five, ten minutes after? Will they be on a victory lap? Will Lewis Johnson have to tell them on live TV? Like, if you look at it that from a purely entertainment standpoint, um, it's it's uh, it never fails. If you look at it from a perspective of you're a fan and you want to see them get the medal, I I could see it becoming pretty frustrating at this point. It's probably going to be a uniform violation this next time. They've <laughs> just they've done everything at this point. One last question for you. Um, you know, really, you guys have been doing the show for, you know, a bunch of years now. Have things changed a lot? And, and you know, how have things changed since you started your show? Well, we started in 2010. And that was, you know, Bolt in his prime. 
at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think track and field is is still relying heavily on Bolt. I'm not one of the people who thinks that track is going to disappear when Bolt decides to retire. I think he's going to be sorely missed, and there's going to be plenty of, of empty seats at meets. But I think um, the diehard track fans are still going to be there. I don't think Bolt brought a lot of eyeballs to Olympics and World Championships when he competed, uh, but but he raced so sparingly through the rest of the season that you know, if he shows up in Rome or if he shows up in Paris, um, you might get a spike here and there. But but on the whole, uh, I think his impact wasn't felt as widely uh, as it perhaps could have been as if he you know if he was racing as often as as Shelley and Fraser Price. So mm-hmm. I mean from the competitive standpoint, like I said, I mean the U.S. is more relevant, so people are, are discussing it more. Um, there's certainly you know, an issue here or there that always comes up that people think is going to save track and field and put it into the mainstream of sports in the U.S. But what I've noticed more since we've been doing the show is how everything just kind of runs in cycles, you know, like mm-hmm. all of the new and innovative ideas come and then they go and then there's a new wave of plans to, to make it even bigger and better. But what will really be interesting is, is seeing what impact, if any, the 2021 World Championships will have in Eugene. And we'll have to wait a while for that, but that'll be the the first time they've hosted an outdoor World Championships. Uh, I don't think it's going to be one of those things where everybody all of a sudden is super invested in track and can rattle off Brittany Reese's long jumps from memory. Um, but maybe, maybe it'll get a, a little more traction. And also, you know, every sport is becoming more and more niche more and more divided um, in its own little category. So for me, it, it's more accessible. You can view it in more places um, than you could six years ago. But the the central parts of it have changed. You know, a drug scandal and everything's going to end. The world's going to end. And then three months later, something new. And it, and it just sort of conti- continues on and on. Um, mm. But I still enjoy talking about it. And I, I still think that um, it can get better within the U.S. And that's why I'm interested in people like DeGrasse and people like Bromel to, you know, and energize the sport a little bit. I mean, as great as Bolt was, um, just the amount he competes and the, just the air of certainty around every competition kind of took some fun out of it. So uh, I'm looking forward to new people coming and you could say the same thing about Farah or about Eaton, you know, once they step aside, the new people who come on, um, it it will be interesting how that, um, that next era is shaped. He is Kevin Sullivan. He, or not Kevin Sullivan, Kevin Sully, almost. Uh, he's uh, he's from the House of Run podcast. Uh, you can check them out um, at houseofrun.com. They're on Twitter at House of Run. Um, go check out their iTunes as well. Really, really enjoy the podcast. Um, thanks a lot for, for being on the show, man. And uh, I should also tell the tell the listeners that come 2017, I believe you guys have a, have a Costco muffin line coming out as well too, right? I wish. I think everybody. I don't know. Are there are there Costco's in in Canada? Oh, there sure are. Yes. Okay, so people should email your show, like they email our show, mm-hmm. with their favorite Costco muffin because it is quite the conversation starter and very divisive topic. I should add. Definitely, definitely. Um, thanks a lot for being on the show, man. My pleasure, Michael. Thank you. 
Mohamed Ahmed is without a doubt the face of Canadian distance running right now. 2016 has been a banner year with a Canadian record and a good showing down in Rio this summer. When he says that there's more to come though, there is really no reason not to believe him. We caught Mo just after his morning run. So I guess it's uh, it's been a real landmark year for you so far. I do want to go back to the, uh, I don't know, the end of May uh, to the pre-classic. Um, that weekend I was at the 10k road champs in, in Ottawa and I have to say it was it was kind of a cool thing because I couldn't see it because you know I was in the race but there seems to have been you know a buzz amongst all the coaches and athletes uh, to know that you had just broken your own Canadian record again but with that 1301. What was interesting about that is that 1301 was was different than your last record because you know 1301 kind of I, I would say it almost puts you in a whole new realm. Uh, you know, of now you're in a place where you can take on the world, at, le- at least to, to the rest of us. You know, what did that race do for you psychologically? Yeah, um, it was uh, it was definitely a good um, stepping stone for sure. And, it de- you know, like, it's as if, like it's as you said, it definitely said you're ready to take on the world. And, you know, the the workouts that I was doing really indicated that, but I needed an affirmation of it and that's you know pretty much i was fighting for the for the win um in that last few meters and that's pretty much what it did for me and you know it catapulted um me you know uh, to uh to be you know to pretty much say you're ready you're ready to take on the world and for the olympics and all the work that needs to be done is you're at a great great place you just got to keep doing what you've been you, what you've been doing so it's uh it's good so, I mean, with that, with that jump into that new realm, uh, you know, knowing that a lot of track fans know that you're in that place now, is, is there now like an added pressure um, now that you've, you know, entered into that realm, I guess you could say? No, absolutely not. Honestly, uh, more than anything, you know, it's the, it's the like internal pressures that are the greatest. Um, so I know I put a lot of pressure on myself. I, um, you know, I have goals that I want to accomplish and I, you know, those goals are to be, you know, one of the best in the world and to be on that podium. So honestly, like no pressure from the outside really kind of weighs on me or anything. And so, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really put any pressure on me at all. So, yeah, because I, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself, hmm. you know, so yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's jump. Uh, let's jump ahead a couple of months. Uh, I know. I'm sure you know where this is going to the Olympic 5,000 meter race, uh, which was just you know a wild race all all around. You know, DQs being handed out uh, and then taken away. You ended up with a, a fourth place finish. You know, how did that race go from your perspective, and and maybe touch on the emotions post race. Hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely an interesting uh, race. Lots of drama. Um, it was definitely much different than any previous uh, major championships over the past four years. Um, so it was it was interesting. But you know, for me, you know, the race went off, um, and my plan was to just pretty much do the least thing possible, least amount of energy waste, and what have you. And uh, I went right to the back. Um, and, you know, just kind of was like, okay, to see what Mo Mo's doing. And I was at the back. And all of a sudden, within two laps, I realized that they weren't joking around. And um, I just kind of relaxed a little bit. And um, I was like, okay, if Mo's not pushing, 
you know, you shouldn't really worry about it. And all of a sudden, Mo goes past me, and I was like, okay, just latch on to him. And the race really just kept going, and I was like, okay, this is perfect. This is your race. It gives you some space, and um, you just got to be ready over that last 800 meters. And, you know, I was there with the, with the last to go with uh, 250 or whatever, and, you know, really to come off short, it was it was just kind of – it was it was it was definitely hard, and obviously I think the emotion that I showed in my interview uh, was a indication of like how bad I wanted, and um, you know I'm definitely not gonna be over over that race for 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 a while, and I'm still definitely gonna be I'm still dwelling on that a bit. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that came down to you know to a kick, and I have to say you know watching you over the past couple of years, I would say that 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 your your kick has just gotten really really good over the past couple of years. Is that something that you guys have been working on? Uh, you know, with obviously you and Schumacher and and your group. Yes, uh, definitely. It's something that we work on every day. You know, with uh, with our group, uh, we work on every kind of talent. We hone every little. Um, skill possible we work on the work on the strength we work on the speed we work on the in-betweens and everything and honestly um i've always had like good uh speed i've always felt like you know that i had good speed i've showed it in practice uh over the years but i was i never could bring it out in a at the end of races uh in earlier during my earlier years and you know right now you know i'm getting to my prime and we're definitely like you know focusing on it a little bit more but i think it's a combination of all those years of work and focusing on it for a little bit and you know the strength the growth uh in age and and everything and and my body maturity as well so i think that that has really helped me out and you know hopefully i continue to excel more mm-hmm Back to Rio earlier. Your earlier, um, I guess, in the week, you ran the Olympic ten thousand, but you know, kind of pulled up for the last couple of laps. Uh, was that always part of the plan that if you didn't see yourself in in that optimal place where you could, you know, podium or finish well, uh, that you'd, you know, kind of kind of ease back? And do you think that you know, looking back, it was it was the best choice? <sighs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know, it's kind of a interesting thing. Honestly, you know, going into it. Um, we thought, based on like our my previous record in the 10K, um, the, the the 10K was definitely where I had the best shot at meddling. Um, and you know the race goes off, and I think I was very antsy. I was very very antsy. I think if you look at me um, at the start line, you can just tell like I had no emotional, um, like no like you know I wasn't expecting myself. I was just like let's go, you know and. I was so uptight, I was so worked up that I really froze when it when it came um, to when 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 the really when the race really started. And I did a lot of surging um, during that race where I should have just relaxed early on and just said, okay, first five k, just relax and and make it a five k race. Um, and I think I would have done fairly well had I controlled my emotions a little bit. And uh, but you know, I think. Um, for the 5K, the fact that I did the 10 and it really didn't go well, um, the emotional, it kind of, I don't know, I, I feel like it kind of helped me out a little bit because I told myself, hey, do everything that you do, do, do opposite to what you did for the 10K. So I was more emotionally in control 
um, of everything, I think, for the for the 5K. And I don't think it did anything, any any more damage than, than you know, like a prelim would do. So I don't think it did too much. I didn't really take, I didn't think it take, took much out of me. And, um, you know, it's definitely, I think it made me stronger as an athlete. Um, and I think it'll help me out as I, as I go on in my career. So you're, you're 25 now, uh, making me think that you have at least, you know, two solid Olympics, uh, ahead of you. Do you have a long-term plan as far as, you know, distance progression goes? Uh, you know, do you think that maybe you'll be moving up or, or staying the same? Yeah, I think I'll most likely stay the same. Um, I don't know, like I, you know, I haven't really spoken with uh, Jerry uh, in a, about you know what what's uh, to come this year, but I, you know, I, I you know, for me, um, where I'm really excited about is the track. Honestly, I'm not really that excited about cross country or the roads or anything like that, and I feel uh, Jerry's the same way, and I think I could you know do fairly well. Um, on the track so yeah my main focus is the track honestly so yeah so no 50k race walk for you at that uh 2020 uh olympics <laughs> no no i'll let evan uh, take care of that <laughs> yeah. hey that's fine by me uh you know you're training you're training with the uh with the otc uh the oregon track club right now and uh you know it just has such amazing depth right now including some really good canadians down there um who do you find that you do a lot of your workouts with yeah btc not otc oh sorry um <laughs> no it's okay um yeah i mean I, you know this is the, the really interesting thing about our team is we do the exact same workouts i'm, I'm telling you and People don't believe that, you know, when we, when I tell them, yeah, I did the exact same workout as Evan Jager, um, you know, and, and the steeplers and, um, you know, and like Ryan Hill, like what, you know, whatever, the, like we do the exact same workouts. Um, and the only variation that we do is uh, on specific sessions where, you know, this, like the steeplers, for example, um, you know, need to go over hurdles for some of their specific workouts. Those are those are the only times that we're separated. But every single day, we do the exact same workouts. And um, you know, I think we run to we were on with each other every day. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of a I think it's a good group that really clicks with one another really well. Um, there really isn't egos or anything like that. We like you know we like to come to work every single day and. Is really, uh, you know, just kind of a, just, you know, we, we, we enjoy being around each other and what have you, and we're pretty much about the same age. So it's just, it's just a fun group of uh, people to, to train with. And, you know, Jerry Schumacher is obviously, like, you know, the best coach in the world. So, you know, it's just incredible. So, yeah, I'm definitely fortunate to be part of this group. Well, you know, my, my slip-up made me think, you know, there's so many really, really good uh, you know, track clubs in one area. Do you guys almost have like a little bit of an unofficial rivalry going on? Is that something that, that ever goes on when you guys are, are racing each other? Uh, you know, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's like, I think there's like a handful of, um, groups in, in, in running groups, uh, in the country. So yeah, definitely. There's definitely that team aspect of it, you know, with the, uh, beast, in Seattle, you know, OTC, Oregon Project, uh, NYNJ, you know, all those guys, you know, definitely. Yeah, we want to we wanna be the best group. So, yeah, there's definitely a little bit, I'm sure. 
um, and I, you know, so yeah. <laughs> On the Canadian uh, Olympic team site, it says that you uh, listen to music or poetry pre-competition. Uh, you know, who's who's in the earbuds? I'm, I'm kind of interested. Uh, right now, um, I've been really um, digging uh, uh, Party Next Door's album. is really, really nice. I really like that. Um, Frank Ocean's album is really nice as well. So those are the two albums that I've been listening to. Hmm. Um, another um, a singer that I've been listening to is uh, Amal Noor. Uh, she's a Canadian uh, girl. Uh, she just uh, came out with uh, a single. And I think her album's coming out, um, and it's, it's pretty good. So yeah, I just and you know m- most mostly like a lot of old old school stuff. So yeah. Mhm, mhm. Worth the wait for the uh, for the new Frank Ocean album. Oh yeah, I mean you can really see the you know the creative genius that he is. Like you know, it's like everything is just like really nicely put together. Honestly, I I really like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I I I don't know how I feel about. It. I really liked his mixtape days, but I I don't know. Maybe that's just me. So okay, so you're you were born yeah. in Somalia. You moved to St. Catharines. You know, as far as that goes for someone looking to get into the sport, how supportive was that community as far as you know coaches and meets go? In uh, St. Catharines, um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, big, big. Honestly, like you know, I discovered running there. Um, you know, like early 2000s uh and it was just kind of like I was a fan obviously to begin with and you know as I moved up in elementary school high school and uh, that's you know when I really got good was uh, middle of high school and uh, my high school coaches Alex uh, Arch and Perry Wakalich um, they saw my talent that I had potential and you know they handed me over to Stuart Galloway and Sharon Stewart at the Niagara Olympic Club and, you know those you know, those uh, those four individuals really, like, uh, you know, uh, really showed me what training is all about and, um, you know, and really, like, instilled the love and purpose in my training and, in, and for running. So, and they, yeah, definitely supportive. And every time I go home, honestly, like, it just seems like those guys are, like, you know, the friends that I go out with and stuff like that. And, you know, they're whatever, 40 <laughs> 30 years my senior, but, you know, they've, they've really helped me out. And, um, you know, the whole community is very supportive. Um, whenever I'm back home and on runs and stuff, you know, people are like honking their horns and, and stuff and, you know, saying, Hey, good job, Mo. And, you know, so yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I always feel the love from my hometown. The next 12 months are really big as far as qualification for IAAF events with uh, the next one really coming up at the end of November in, in Kingston at the National Cross Country Championships. I know you said that uh, that's not really your focus right now, but any chance that we could see you in Kingston? Uh, no, unfortunately. Um, I just started uh, back running, um, so I don't think I'll be ready um, to do that. Um but, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, when, you know, your focus is the summer, late summer especially, and it's kind of hard to really uh, do the Canadian cross country. It's kinda, it's really hard, honestly. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to do any cross country races over the next little while. So, we'll see. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, he is Mohammed Ahmed 
or Mohammed, whichever you prefer. Uh, and uh, he was joining us from Oregon today, I believe. And uh, hey, man, we're, we're all cheering for you. And, and thanks a lot for being on the show, man. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you for having me. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to Jeff, Kevin, and Muhammad for being on the show, Tracky for their ongoing support, and to you for listening. Check us out on Twitter at the Terminal Mile. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Tracky.ca. Speaking of Tracky, you can also check out my new weekly column on Tracky called Junk Mileage. I look at the issues this sport is facing and offer my own perspective. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Yeah.